is the role of judges to apply, not alter, the work of the people's representatives. A judge who likes every outcome he reaches is very likely a bad judge, stretching for results he prefers rather than those the law demands. That was Judge Neil Gorsuch, who is now President Donald Trump's pick to fill the U.S. Supreme Court vacancy left by the late Justin Antonin, Justice Antonin Scalia. Already, the comparisons between Gorsuch and Scalia are everywhere, both conservative, both well-respected jurists, both known for their thoughtfulness and wit, especially in crafting written opinions. This is Detroit Today on 101.9 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and thanks for being here. And that is where we start our program today, talking about Judge Neil Gorsuch, who is the current nominee to replace Justice Antonin Scalia. Of course, he is the second nominee to replace Justice Scalia. The first nominee was Merrick Garland, made by President Obama almost a full year ago. Uh, The Senate decided that uh, it would not take up that nomination of Merrick Garland. Many senators refused even to meet with Garland to talk about his nomination, and there were no hearings held. This is the first time in about, I don't know, maybe 100 more years that a president has had a Supreme Court pick stolen from him, taken from him. The idea that somehow the Constitution, which leaves to the president the duty to nominate uh, and and fill vacancies on the court, uh, was not afforded to Barack Obama in his last year in office. And so now we have Donald Trump uh, saying that he would like Neil Gorsuch to sit in that seat. Although Gorsuch looks like a great pick on paper for a Republican president, How are Democrats in the Senate going to react given this year-long obstruction and unprecedented obstruction? In history, we have never gone more than about 100 days after a nomination without some sort of hearing or vote uh, or a withdrawal. It's been 300 and some days since Merrick Garland was nominated to replace Antonin Scalia, and now Donald Trump is nominating someone else. Is that all right? Should the Republicans be allowed to have changed the rules so dramatically? Should they have been allowed to subvert the democratic will of our Constitution, which gives to the president the duty of filling seats on the Supreme Court? Those are the questions that are going to come up undoubtedly over the next few weeks as Gorsuch's uh, nomination makes its way uh, to the Senate floor. How is this confirmation process going to play out, and will it look differently this time because of 300 and some days of Republican obstructionism over President Barack Obama's nominee? That's where we want to start the conversation today. Uh, And joining me to talk about this is Tim Alberta. He's a political reporter with Politico magazine. Tim, welcome to Detroit Today. Thanks, Stephen. Good to be with you. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Let's first talk about uh, the sort of immediate reaction to to Neil Gorsuch, who by most accounts seems to be an eminently qualified judge uh, and a pick that, uh, that many people in Washington, even some Democrats, uh, might, uh, might under ordinary circumstances, think was an appropriate pick. Yeah, that's right. Uh, I think that President Trump 
chose the path of least resistance here and um, is, is I think, there's probably some three-dimensional chess being played here in the sense that, you know, President Trump is probably daring, you know, and Senate Republicans in some sense are probably daring Democrats to filibuster this and make them invoke the nuclear option, which I think that most Senate Democrats do not ultimately want to do, Stephen. And I think the reason for that is pretty simple. It's because you've got a couple of other Supreme Court justices who are getting up there in years and that it's very likely that by the end of President Trump's first term that he will nominate another justice. And if he nominates another justice, it could be somebody in the mold of a Bill Pryor, who is a federal appeals judge, uh, and he is much, much, much more conservative and sure. much more controversial than is Neil Gorsuch. Neil Gorsuch is essentially viewed a, a, as a, a, a consensus layup by Republicans and Democrats. Now, there there is, of course, going to be uh, a good deal of you know resistance from the Democratic base and from the progressive wing of the Democratic Party, precisely because of what you talked about with the Republican treatment of Merrick Garland last year. But I don't think there's any question that when push comes to shove, Neil Gorsuch is going to be confirmed. He probably will not be filibustered, although there's, I think, probably still a chance uh, that, that there is a lasting filibuster that forces Republicans to invoke the nuclear option here. But I think you know, Democrats realize that Donald Trump could have nominated somebody who would present uh, significantly more problems for them. Uh, you know, Bill Pryor is an example of somebody who was viewed until very recently as uh, someone who was on the short list for this pick and somebody who has written that, you know, Roe v. Wade was the worst decision in the history of the court and has yes. made controversial statements about homosexuals and bestiality and things like that. I mean, Neil Gorsuch is just is not that not in that mold. And so I think that Democrats, on the one hand, feel an obligation to resist and to put up some some opposition to this, uh, Stephen. But on the other hand, I think they, they need to be careful and they know they need to be careful to not open the door to 50 votes confirming somebody much more controversial the next time around. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that, that question about the filibuster, whether to use it, uh, how to use it and what response it would it would get, I, I imagine is uh, going to consume the, the the conversations in the Democratic caucus rooms uh, over the next few weeks. Um, but but one of the other things, one of the other things that uh, that that I think is is going to be talked about here is again what how we go forward from here. I mean. Uh, what the Republicans did last year, as I said in the open, was unprecedented. Uh, the idea that you snatch from a sitting president uh, an opening on the Supreme Court. And if Democrats don't flex their muscle here, uh, are they essentially sort of acquiescing to that? Are they uh, essentially saying, well, uh, that was wrong, but there's nothing we are willing to do about it? And does that then preclude uh, you know, later sort of action that 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 tries to reset uh, the standards so that so that uh, any any nominee gets a hearing. Uh, that that used to be that used to be the rule. That used to be the standard. Uh, it seems that we have gotten away from that, and that I think uh, one of the things that Democrats have to sort of discuss is, well, how do we how do we force it back to the place that makes a little more sense. So a couple of things. I think the big picture here is that Democrats in the Senate and in the House and across the country 
studied very closely the Republican tactics during the Obama era. And I think by and large, Stephen, they have concluded that there was very little downside. There was very little negative consequence to the obstructionist tactics used by Republicans in Congress against the Obama administration that, you know, they they certainly were not punished by the base. And ultimately, you know, Republicans in, in 2010 and in 2014 and in 2016 won what could be considered, you know, historic, at least in, in the 2010 and 2016, historic elections. And, um, you know, with a good deal of, of crossover voters uh, in the process. So I think a lot of Democrats are, are looking around saying, you know, who are we going to alienate here if, in fact, we deploy some of this same sort of obstructionist, no way, no how strategy against this Republican president they, that they use against our Democratic president. I think from 30,000 feet, that's the perspective a lot of Democrats have. I think specific to the Senate and, and to this confirmation point, look, I think what we're witnessing now is sort of a downward spiral of the upper chamber uh, of the world's greatest deliberative body, as it's known. Um, I, I think that we've seen up close over the last eight years, uh, and really over the last, I think, six years, that you know, Harry Reid turned the Senate into a very different place. And and, and Democrats, uh, even friends of, of Senator Reid, former Senator Reid, when he was on his way out, sort of acknowledged as much that, you know, look, this place is never going to be the same. And they were happy because he was able to defend Obama's legacy and, and secure a great number of victories for the Democratic president. But it, it came at a cost to the institution. And I think what you saw with Republicans last year uh, in not only blocking Merrick Garland's nomination, but in not even giving him a hearing, and, and some senators not even meeting with him. I think that that took it then to a whole other level. And I think now you essentially look at the, the choices before Democrats, and none of them are terribly good. Um, you know, on the one hand, if they choose to filibuster Neil Gorsuch, uh, knowing that they're not going to be successful anyway, that he's going to be confirmed. I mean, barring an act of God here, Stephen, he's going to be confirmed. Sure. So they, they view, you know, not a, not a ton of upside there necessarily, except that it's going to kind of throw a bone to the Democratic base and keep some of these people uh, happy and, 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 you know, more immediately keep some of them from protesting their own re-elections in 2018. You've got a number of red state senators who are up for their own re-election in 2018 in, in states that Donald Trump just won. And I think they're very nervous about the progressives in their own backyard, you know, not showing up or not giving them money or even, God forbid, trying to recruit a primary challenger if they do not, you know, prove sufficiently oppositional to this Republican president. Yeah. So there's, there's just really no great option for Senate Democrats at this point. Yeah. Uh, this is Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. Uh, I'm Stephen Henderson. My guest is Tim Alberta. Uh, he's a political reporter at Politico magazine. We're talking about the nomination of Neil Gorsuch uh, to be our next Supreme Court justice, uh, replacing Antonin Scalia, who died nearly a year ago, uh, 300 and some days since that seat has been filled uh, by all uh, rights and traditions. Uh, that seat would have been filled by President Barack Obama, who nominated Merrick Garland to that seat, but saw his nominee not even get a hearing on uh, Capitol Hill. Uh, now uh, that seat belongs to Donald Trump. Uh, the responsibility for filling that seat belongs to Donald Trump. And he says Neil Gorsuch is the person he wants in it. What do you think about uh, what do you think about Judge Gorsuch? What do you think about the things that he has said in the past, the things that he's written? Uh, what do you think about his qualifications? Uh, but also, what do you think about this idea 
that Republicans have essentially swiped a Supreme Court seat from a sitting Democratic president if uh, Neil, Neil Gorsuch ends up being confirmed to the Supreme Court. What do you think about the process in Washington? What do you think about the process in the Senate uh, once uh, revered as uh, one of the most civil deliberative bodies on the planet? Has it changed uh, because in part of uh, actions like this? 313-577-1019 is the number. To join the conversation, that's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page, put your comments there, or go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today. Uh, we'll work those comments into the conversation if we can. Uh, let's go to Brendan in Detroit. Brendan, welcome to Detroit Today. Hi, Stephen. Hey. Um, so I just, I'll just answer. I had a couple of statements, but I think your, um, your guests said them much more astutely than I could. <laughs> So a couple of your um, your questions, what do I think about Neil Gorich? I'm not real familiar with that judge, uh, but if he is what he what they say he is, which he is a replacement of Scalia, you know, he is he's going to be a judge uh, that essentially will um, uh, uh, replace a very conservative political vote, and he will interpret the Constitution um, in a way that that uh, is results-driven, and uh, if the 1789 Constitution, you know, doesn't mention abortion, it also doesn't mention a lot of other things, but if, if it's politically expedient to back into that analysis uh, 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 in a way that he can say, um, you know, abortion isn't a protected right, or it's not a protected right uh, for, uh, you know, a Fourth Amendment search and seizure type of issue. So he'll just be the same as Scalia, but I guess that's that's my point, is that he's replacing Scalia. This is not, um, of all the terrible things that I think will happen in a Trump presidency, this is not the start of a new terrible thing that will happen in the Trump presidency. This is simply putting us back to the status quo. And I, I think the real focus for Democrats and liberals should be looking back at the Merrick Garland situation, figuring out how that happened, and making sure that doesn't happen again. I mean, in, in so many ways, the Democrats failed. Uh, we failed. We lost. We're, we have terrible consequences to deal with. And I think the Merrick Garland um, situation should be looked at the same way. Why did we screw that up uh, when it happened? How can we prevent that from happening? And in other ways, how, you know, how can we do a better job fighting? But I, I don't think the filibustering of this Supreme Court uh, nominee is a good idea. I don't think we will really benefit from that. I think it's going to be a, a negative. So I don't think we should focus our energies there. I think we yeah. should focus on a review of what happened. Yeah. Uh, Brendan, uh, great, great analysis there, I think, uh, about what the, the situation looks like uh, from from Democratic seats. Uh, and, I, and I think what you're saying sort of reflects this idea that there are not a lot of great options at this point because of what's happened uh, over the last uh, year, so I really appreciate uh, I really appreciate the call uh, and your thoughts. Let's go to Eric in Royal Oak. Eric, welcome to Detroit today. Good morning. Thank you for taking my call. Sure. My, I, I'd be certainly interested in both Steve your observation as well as your guess as to I know and, and I don't mean to diminish this issue at the Supreme Court level, but it seems that like unfortunately. Uh, the Senate for years has institutionalized battles and holding things up, and both parties have some responsibility sure. because we've had 
at the federal district court level as well as the Court of Appeals, it's taken years. And certainly here in Michigan, as well as the Sixth Circuit, uh, we've seen that over time. And so I was just curious as to comments and observations uh, about the battle and the institutionalized, what my personal opinion is, is playing politics with all the federal judges. Yeah. Uh, Eric, great question. Great topic to bring up. Thank you for uh, calling. Uh, Tim Alberta, I'll give you first crack at that. You know, yeah, it's a, it's a good question and a great point. I think it's interesting what we've seen uh, certainly over the last, I think, probably 15 to 20 years as we sort of trace um, in, the, in the modern history uh, of federal politics how polarized everything has become. I think that sort of a, a good tracker for that has been, you know, how, how uh, jurists have become pawns and judicial appointments specifically have sort of become pawns in the political game. Whenever we've seen uh, big fights over something in Washington, in Congress, in the Senate specifically, we've seen repeatedly judicial nominations being held up and only finally confirmed or, or a hold on the name, nomination only being released once the other party gives them something as part of a uh, as part of a policy negotiation. So in other words, you know, if if there is a nomination for, you know, I think in, in 2003 it was, for example, President Bush had nominated a handful of, of federal uh, appointees to different circuit courts and Senate Democrats held them up. Uh, and then release them one by one during policy negotiations over something at the time. And, you know, this has been, and even though, um, you know, most of those judges were, were sort of consensus candidates, you know, Democrats didn't love them because they were viewed as conservatives, but they knew that, you know, he was a Republican president, and he nominated them and that they had the vote, but they were still able to, to delay their confirmations uh, as part of a political negotiation. And, you know, in Washington, I think that's sort of viewed as now, at least as, standard practice and as good effective politicking, uh, depending on which, which side of the aisle you're on. And, and Republicans did the same thing during the Obama presidency. But sure. ultimately, I think, you know, a lot of regular folks look at that as, as you know, sort of the same silly Washington games that everybody is tired of and the same sort of politicization of politicization of, of, of everything. Uh, and ultimately, you know, we may wind up, Stephen, to, to the original uh, discussion we were having, we may wind up looking back at, at that period as something that, you know, on the one hand, sort of paved the way to get to where we are today, but also as a relatively benign kind of quaint time in politics, because the direction we're heading now with these judicial fights is, is much, much nastier, and it's probably going to have much uglier long-term ramifications for the Senate and, and for the Congress and for the entire country. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, great uh, question there, Eric. And again, thanks very much for uh, for calling and asking. I, I don't have much to add to that. I mean, I think uh, there's, no, there's no question that uh, we've seen this go on for some time in Washington, especially at the lower court level. And there have been agreements in the past uh, that, that I think attempted to move beyond the logjam, the political logjam. Uh, but but there's always uh, an incident, it seems, a judge who gets nominated uh, who who sets us back to this sort of rancor and 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 deadlock over it? So uh, at some point, I suppose it will resolve itself. But uh, I don't know. I don't know that I that I think that's coming soon. Uh, let's go to Albert in Southfield. Albert, welcome to Detroit today. Yeah, I want to vote for non-confirmation. Uh, I'm I'm for anything you do to screw these guys up with nomination. 
uh, because what they did last time uh, was was unbelievable. These people are trying to turn this country into a dictatorship, and with this idiot uh, front, uh, it may be that way. I think they should concentrate on that Russia connection because I understand that there's a half a trillion dollar deal to Exxon and uh, and, and Russia. And the CEO, uh, this guy from Secretary of State, former CEO, yeah. Let's yeah. not have him approve either. So, Thanks. so Albert, so you would have yeah. them, uh, you would have them filibuster this this nomination, which because they don't have a majority, would maybe it would stop this this nominee, perhaps. But who would the next nominee be? Would it be somebody worse? I mean, do you do you do you know what you think the end game would look like there if you filibuster? I think in this time of internet, uh, uh, if you got a bad guy in charge, the whole world knows about it. And they'll force this guy to do right. It's a different world right now. And this guy didn't care about, you know, screwing the budget up last time. He lost, what, $20 billion? Uh, our credit rating from AA to, to, to uh, AAA. They don't care. We shouldn't care at this point. And I, I, would, I would put the whole thing in the hands of the people in the world. Yeah. That's what I would think. All right, Albert. I uh, appreciate the call. I appreciate the thoughts. Thanks very right. much. Uh, let's go to uh, Vernon. Vernon in Auburn Hills. Vernon, welcome to Detroit Today. I uh, love your show, Stephen. I like seeing you on TV. Oh, thank you, Vernon. A uh, couple of thoughts. This this uh, nominee is seems like he's pretty much the same as Obama's nominee. And my thought, they're both pretty well neutral or mainstream. My thought would be it would have been a nice olive branch if uh, if Trump would have nominated Obama's selection, and that would have that would have put him in a very positive light with Democrats. And that being said, I think now that it's gone in this direction, I think the olive branch would be is if the Democrats unanimously uh, approve this guy, showing that they're they're flexible and they're looking to deal. I totally disagree with the last caller. That's not. I mean, that's not his do business. I, I think if you want to, uh, sometimes in business you have to smile at people you can't stand, and, <laughs> and that's the reality. And, yeah. and that's. <laughs> that's a great way to. That's a great analogy, uh, Vernon. You guys smile at people you can't stand sometimes, and that's is doubly true in politics, uh, I suppose. Uh, that's an interesting idea, uh, Tim Alberta. Was there any talk about whether President Trump might try to reach across the aisle, almost literally here, uh, nominate somebody? like Merrick Garland, who is uh, far more liberal than Neil Gorsuch, but also is somebody who, in a past iteration, had a lot of Republican uh, support. I mean, when uh, Merrick Garland was uh, put on the D.C. Circuit, I think 76 votes uh, came for him, which would have included a lot of Republicans. Was that ever part of the playbook here? It it was not. Absolutely not, Stephen. And I'll tell you why, because I think that we all will one day probably look back and realize that that the single smartest, uh, most deft campaign maneuver that Donald Trump made was releasing a list of initially, I believe it was 14 Mm -hmm. uh, potential Supreme Court nominees, and then he expanded it to 21. And I think that what happened at the time and, and, you know, in the in the blur of campaign season, we all sort of saw it and moved on. But there was a significant amount of unrest among social conservatives around the United States, you know, reliable Republican voters who were looking at Donald Trump marching to the nomination and who weren't sure that they could get there. 
they had you know deep seated doubts about this guy about about his morals about his you know core worldview and ideology and really ultimately about whether or not he was one of them and would sort of represent their interests and the and the Trump campaign I think should should you know receive an enormous amount of credit for picking up on this and for dealing with it in a way that really gets to the heart of of what those folks, uh, you know, sort of the social conservative wing in the Republican Party, what they care about most. They care about the issue of abortion, and abortion stems from the Supreme Court. Republicans historically have been much more interested in the court than have Democratic voters. That's, there, there's a lot of polling to back that up. And when Donald Trump released that list, I can remember in the weeks following that, there were lots of just sort of regular grassroots Republican voters all across the country, not plugged in Politico types, who were saying to us, well, I feel a lot better about him now that I know he's going to nominate a, a conservative to the court. And I think that that ultimately was a, a huge reason why he won in November. I, I think without that reassurance to the conservative base, Donald Trump is not the president today. So for Donald Trump, to turn around and nominate a Merrick Garland or somebody in the mold of a Merrick Garland uh, as an olive branch to the Democratic Party, uh, I think would have been disastrous for his presidency. I think the reason we saw, in fact, President Trump move up his announcement to, to last night, because it was originally slated for Thursday of this week, I think what, the reason he did that was to rally the Republican base around him after an extremely tumultuous first 10 or 11 days of his presidency. Yeah. And Neil Gorsuch's nomination represents a rallying point because it's the deliverance on a significant campaign promise that he made. Yeah. Uh, Brian on Facebook, uh, I think, uh, has a quote that uh, will perfectly end this segment. He says, Trump is lame duck president. He can only serve 7.9 more years. The people need to be able to choose the person they want to fill this seat. We need to leave that decision to our next president, of course, uh, echoing the line, the absurd line that uh, Republican senators adopted last year in uh, refusing to have hearings for Merrick Garland. So uh, we're going to have to leave it there. Tim Alberta, political reporter at Political Magazine, thanks as always for joining us on Detroit Today. Thank you, Stephen. Appreciate it. Absolutely. All right. Up next, we're going to talk with uh, Richard Trithui of This Old House about his recent visit to Flint to look at the city's efforts to replace all lead service pipes. Stay with us on Detroit Today. Detroit Today.